The Mike Tamano Happening. Welcome to another episode of The Mike Tamano Happening. So good to have you along with us. Don't forget my blog is up weekly at MikeTamano.com under the Tamano blog menu drop down and uh, you could also find past episodes of this wonderful podcast under the MTH podcast tab and there's other things to uh, peruse some writings some uh, radio archive stuff that is just hysterical and wonderful from whoa these 30 years behind the microphone oftentimes getting in trouble especially the stuff from the early days just uh, what was I thinking is what I think every time I hear those. Uh, You'll actually hear some archival material today on this program. As we head back to 1998, when I woke up the legendary Glenn Danzig in his hotel room, we woke him up the morning after he had a show in New York City and a long after party with band members and whoever else shows up to such things. It's kind of fun. Always been a Danzig fan, always been a Misfits fan. So uh, that's an interesting one that I Took out of the vault. So welcome to 2022. Debate is futile. Nuanced conversation has been replaced by violent psychotic reaction. Freedom is a trigger word. And P.J. O'Rourke is dead. P.J. O'Rourke entered my teenage life at the peak of my obsession with the comedy institution National Lampoon. He served as the magazine's editor-in-chief for a time and authored some of their just hilariously funny, brilliantly titled articles as well, including How to Drive Fast on Drugs While Getting Your Wing-Wang Squeezed and Not Spill Your Drink. So PJ was hired by National Lampoon publisher Matty Simmons in 1972. He met Simmons shortly after arriving in Manhattan, and he was heading there with the goals of becoming a poet or a novelist. By the time he left the publication at the end of the decade, the work he left behind was legendary. And like National Lampoon's other contributors, O'Rourke was fearless. He was a writer for their stage show Lemmings, which was a brilliant satire on the shallowness of the Woodstock generation and the Woodstock event. It was a musical send-up that put future superstars John Belushi, Christopher Guest, and Chevy Chase on the nation's radar. And he, along with comedy genius Doug Kenny from National Lampoon, co-authored the brilliant 1964 high school yearbook parody. And P.J. O'Rourke was a practitioner of gonzo journalism. That's a style that injects the author's first-person view into the story that's being reported. Hunter S. Thompson leads the way in that movement, you know, starting with his classics Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Hell's Angels. And O'Rourke like Thompson and Tom Wolfe, reported from the ground. You know, he wasn't one to attend press conferences and report on prepared statements. He would rather talk to people on the street, in the guts of any situation. And unlike a lot of his contemporaries, P.J.'s political bent could be considered conservative libertarian or, depending on day and mood, libertarian conservative. But his politics never clouded his balance of thought. I want to quote him here. Politics is the attempt to achieve power and prestige without merit. He held every office holder that he reported on accountable, regardless of their affiliation. He despaired of our nation's 
proclivity to elect clowns and our growing affinity for big government. And above all, P.J. O'Rourke was a champion of individual liberty and responsibility of actions. Another great quote, no drug, not even alcohol, causes the fundamental ills of society. If we're looking for the source of our troubles, we shouldn't test for drugs. We should test for stupidity, ignorance, greed, and love of power. In addition to National Lampoon, he also wrote for Rolling Stone, uh, The Atlantic Monthly, and a bunch of other magazines. Very quick wit, very sardonic demeanor. He was also a a regular on NPR's game show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He was a larger-than-life personality, and uh, he made me laugh, and he made me think, and he made me want to be better at what I do. He urged me to carry on through adversity and remain vigilant whenever the cloud of doubt was over my head. He spoke the truth. He spoke his truth. He spoke what he believed, and he did so brilliantly. Sixteen books in his lifetime, three of them New York Times bestsellers, each of them a treasure trove of provocative commentary and razor-sharp wit. P.J. O'Rourke put the ugly truth on display, and he put it on trial, the type of ugly truth that threatens comfort zones. He knew we were being scammed. He knew the game was rigged, and he knew we could ignore it or engage it, and he decided to wage war on hypocrisy. P.J. O'Rourke was a patriot without being a puppet and a fine American and a brilliant, brilliant writer. If you read him, he's going to inspire you. He's going to give you fuel for the brain. I'd like to uh, share some of my favorite quotes, words that P.J. O'Rourke spoke or wrote that I wish I had spoke or wrote. Giving money and power to government is like giving whiskey and car keys to teenage boys. You can't get rid of poverty by giving people money. If you think health care is expensive now, Just wait till it's free. If government were a product, selling it would be illegal. Political leaders are expert at saying nothing. And this one really sums it up for me. Something that confirms all fears and many conspiracy theories about government is finding out what our elected representatives would put into law if they could. Patrick Jake O'Rourke, November 14th, 1947 to February 15th. 2022. In this time when we can't afford to, we've lost another valuable mind. Rest in peace, PJ. PJ O'Rourke, welcome to the program. It is Peace Kills America's Fun New Imperialism. That's the new book? That's the new book. And uh, now, do people call you up when you put these books out and say, hey, what gives you the right? Uh, Actually, nobody has ever said that. You know, with so many Americans spouting off about so many different things, I guess I'm low on the list. Right. Now, let me ask you a question. Give us a rating, 1 to 10, on Bush's administration so far. Uh, Domestically, about 1. Internationally, uh, uh, I'd rate it pretty high, but, I, I, you know, only in comparison to what the alternatives would have been, uh, you know, if we had had... had, uh, uh, Gore in, or if we got Kerry. If 9-11 happened with Al Gore in, uh, I think uh, it would have been over for us. I think so, too. I think what you would have had was a response kind of similar to Bush's, but but hedged around and indecisive and, 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 and worried. And, hey, sometimes there's just no use thinking, and you got to go in there. I mean, I, I wonder about Kerry. I mean, what's he proposed to do? Give Saddam Hussein a mulligan? Let him take his tee shot over? <laughs> What I think is funny, what do you say, P.J. O'Rourke, to people who say, what about the Geneva Convention? It doesn't, it doesn't count when they're grabbing civilians. 
Uh, you know, I think the Geneva Convention is works really great in Geneva. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you know, the 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 Abu Ghraib stuff that 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 is ugly. I mean, there's there, there there's absolutely no no. Uh, uh, it's probably worse than what the Deeks went through uh, in in uh, Hell Week in uh, 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 down at Miami of Ohio, or maybe almost as bad, but. I mean, we're not talking about good people here. You right. know? And that doesn't mean, that doesn't give us an excuse to act badly towards them, but we're not, t- it's sort of like that moment in True Lies where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis says to Arnold Schwarzenegger, have you actually killed anybody? And he says, yeah, but they were bad people. <laughs> that's You know, that seems to be what a lot of people are missing. Uh, what do you think of uh, the latest uh, Air America, the uh, the left Radio well, they got a lot to learn about radio, don't they? Yeah, they kind of had to get their uh, chickens in a row, I think, before uh, they went on the air. Uh, yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds, is it? No, it's not, especially <laughs> not uh, day in and day out when you have to uh, think of things to say. It's easier to uh, just be common sense. And I think I think sometimes you are misrepresented as a uh, right-wing conservative Wacko, you know how they they have to label you. But I think if there's one common thread with PJ O'Rourke books, it's it's common sense. It's what anybody that has a, uh, a, a you know awakening would uh, would see. Well, you know, you come back to that. What gives me the right? You know, well, of course, what what, what I think gives me the right to write what I do is that I always take the worm's eye point of view. I don't go out there and uh, uh, interview world leaders. My, my opinion about world leaders has always been if, they got, if they're smart enough to become world leaders, uh, are they stupid enough to tell the truth to reporters? You know? right. I go out there with the, with the troops on the ground, with the, the enlisted men of the world and women, and uh, uh, take the worm's eye view. You know, I, I, I'm not claiming in anything that I write that uh, I've found some great high truths or, or, or grand strategies. I just want to tell people what it looks like down at ground level, which what is you, often not pretty. Right. We're talking to P.J. O'Rourke. The uh, new book is Peace Kills America's Fun New Imperialism. Uh, P.J., tell me, why has Bush and his administration not directly answered uh, the constant barrage of people saying, well, there's no proof that Saddam Hussein had anything to do with al-Qaeda. Why don't they just directly answer this? Well, I think because it doesn't ultimately really matter. And I, I wish Bush had been franker with the American people. He ain't the great explainer. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted him to go in to the Iraq. I, I covered the, 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 the first war over there, the Gulf War. I saw what the Iraqis did to Kuwait. I was never under any doubt that this regime had to be taken off. And I think that, Iraq, that, that, that Bush should have simply said about Iraq, look, Here's a guy who's been killing everybody he got his, could get his hands on for 25 years. He, he attacked Israel twice in 67 and 73. He invaded Iran. He invaded Kuwait. He's, you know, he butchered the Shiites. He, 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 he gassed the Kurds. Uh, he's been killing everybody he could get his hands on. And we're giving him a Lifetime Achievement Award here. You right. know, we got a chaotic situation in the Middle East. We got people who really hate us over there. We got a lot of oil that we need over there. And we got to take this big bad chess piece off the board. Oh, just, I mean, you know, weapons of mass destruction, connections with al-Qaeda, yeah, yeah, fine, whatever, you know, I mean, that, that, that was the least of it. And the bottom line was he's an evil man. Peace killed P.J. O'Rourke, and uh, one last thing, your prediction, uh, a year from now in Iraq, what do you think is going to be the situation? 
Well, I, I was over there uh, uh, right at the end of the war, and uh, we stopped to get some um, uh, 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 with some soldiers to buy some beer on the street, which we weren't supposed to do. <laughs> and uh, guy, not only did the guy cheat me on the price, I mean, I, I, I did the math at the end of this complicated bargaining session and realized he uh, he had bargained me uh, from twenty four bucks that he'd been asking for a case of beer uh, up to thirty five fifty. Uh, uh, and it turned out to be non-alcoholic beer. So oh, I think you're on. looking at some people who can be able to do pretty well in the world of modern capitalism <laughs> once things settle down. And that's just proof they're evil, selling you that non-alcoholic <laughs> well, and But not dumb. <laughs> right. T.J. O'Rourke, the book is Peace Kills, Brilliant Stuff. Continued success. Real honor oh, talking you. to you. Hey, thank you. Let's go back to 1998 to a little cinder block building in the middle of a cornfield when I decided to wake Glenn Danzig up for an impromptu interview. And uh, we woke up, my man, Glenn Danzig. Good morning, Glenn. Hey, good morning. And welcome to the cat, man. You're in Buffalo, New York, getting ready to uh, sweep the nation, coming through Chicago on Valentine's Day right. for Black Acid Devil. How's it been going so far this year for Danzig? Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. Sound a little tired. You guys been out late last night? Did you do a show out there? Uh, no, we were out last night, like, hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Keeping you up late, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> From the Misfits on, I've been listening to your stuff. Every album gets a little bit more of that edge and a little bit, uh, you know, Glenn Danzig is not an artist that's afraid to experiment. What were uh, some of the things you went into recording Black Acid Devil? What were some of the ideas that you wanted to put on the new album? to be true to what you were into rather than what the marketplace demands. And I think that's what a lot of people who listen to your music uh, appreciate. I mean, you, you know, you've always had the blues references and, you know, that deep, uh, that, you know, down and dirty groove in your music, but uh, you, you took the chance here with Black Acid Devil to kind of uh, improve upon that in some areas of stuff, some of the industrial stuff you were listening to, but you still retain that Danzig flavor to it. And that, that's got to be difficult, especially with record companies. Has uh, Hollywood Records been really supportive of that, or were they kind of, uh, you know, wow, okay, it's your thing, let's see what happens? Uh, they like pretty much took the latter, you know? Yeah. They're into it. Um, of course, record companies are record companies, but I'd have to say they've been more supportive than maybe my uh, last label. Yeah, the previous labels. Um. Let's talk about your love of comic books. Now you're in, you're involved with the comic book company, and when when did this start, and what kind of made you uh, bring that love into fruition as a career move? Uh, what happened was, of course, you know I liked the medium of comics all my life, uh, from just not just American comics, but you know European and uh, and Japanese uh, comics, and it was you know we're talking you know to people on the road every night after the shows and meeting lots of other comic fans and kind of the same thing is that everyone was 
disappointed that there were no comics for adults. People, you know, that didn't necessarily want to read Spider-Man and Superman and, right. you know, guys in costumes trying to save the world, you know. So, uh, eventually I saw Noam was doing it and, you know, here in the States. Right, you brought back even uh, Frank Frazetta, who all of us... I, I just decided I was going to do it. I was in a position at the time to do it. And so I just started this company that just is the hardest comic company. Uh, we have stories everywhere from just like, you know, barbarians killing people to, you know, government research and intrigue, kind of like Area 51 thing. And yeah. Just, you know, uh, reality-based fantasy. Will we ever see the uh, the marriage of the two, Danzig music and perhaps maybe a uh, animation feature? Well, actually, right now, uh, the uh, Madhouse Studios in Japan, that's the premier studio over there for animation, is working on a Satanica pilot. Satanica is one of our characters. Right. Cool. That's got to be fun. Now, you, now, in order to tour and record and also handle this, I mean, do you have any time at all to just kind of relax? What does Glenn Danzig do on that uh, odd Sunday that he might have off? Uh, do you just work? I, I kind of, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about Lots of different stuff, but yeah, I get to relax. Yeah, good. So, do you fish or <laughs> go to a hockey game or what's the, you know? I don't go to hockey, but um, <laughs> but I just you know screw around. I'm probably working out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you do work out, man. No doubt about it. Hey, uh, you're also uh, checking out some acting avenues for your uh, talent and uh, you made prophecy too, huh? Yeah, I did that when we were out on the office. God, how scary was it working with Christopher Walken and you, man? That had to be a hell of a set. Yeah, that was, well, the first one was insane. Kind of like uh, the battle of these two angels. Well, uh, I'm actually one of his angels. Oh, so you're on the good side. No, I'm on the bad side. Oh, you're on the... Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Chris was the mean one. He was the bad news uh, yeah. angel. Well, yeah, that's fitting. Typecasting, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> you also are a martial artist. Now, you mastered uh, Jeet Kune Do, which is... Now, that is my correct in saying that's what uh, Bruce Lee brought to America? Yeah, actually, I... Uh... Uh, when I started, and uh, to this day, I trained with uh, with uh, Jerry Poteet, which is one of Bruce's five original L.A. Uh, disciples. Cool, and there's been some speculation that that was such a secret art that maybe that's what uh, led to some trouble from uh, China with Bruce Lee. I mean, he had some trouble with some people out there. Who no, actually, Bruce created that art. Did he create it? Now, what was, there, there was one martial art that it was, like, forbidden to be taught, and he knew... Oh, that was, uh, like, basically, that was, like, a long time ago, and it was, uh... Danzig's new album, Black Acid Devil. We're hanging out with Glenn this morning. I wanted to play this one right off the bat, a version of Hand of Doom. Yeah, and, uh, I read totally yeah, and what was the, uh, now, were you a big Sabbath fan, I would imagine, growing up? Yeah, I was the first live band I saw. Okay, can you hang out with us? Huh? Can you hang out a minute with us? Sure, you already woke me up. <laughs> You're already up, so hang out, okay. Glenn Danzig with us, and uh, this is Hand of Doom. It's from Black Acid Devil, Danzig on the Cat. There's Danzig, Hand of Doom on the Cat 105.5. 22 minutes before 10 o'clock, Mario Sella steps in then. Midday Music Marathon, take you through lunch hour with the uh, 105 minutes commercial free cool rock. And uh, we're hanging out with Glenn Danzig right now from Buffalo, New York. They're going to bring the uh, new stage show through the Riviera in Chicago on Valentine's Day. What a way, huh? The Valentine's Day Massacre with Glenn Danzig and crew, huh? Glenn? Yeah. Okay, there you are. <laughs> Uh, what what about the stage show? Did you guys, uh, anything new this year that you want to talk about? Um, 
Yeah, pretty much, man. It's powerful stuff. Hey, thanks, man, for letting me wake you up this morning. That's okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Glenn Danzig. At Tomano's Radio Outlaws on the cat. Here's uh, some more Danzig here. 4582141. Thanks for joining us once again. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts streamed. And uh, don't forget to check out the blog, MikeTamano.com. Peace and love. Peace and love.